The superiority of Jesus Christ, and thus of Christianity, carves through the book of Hebrews like water in a vast canyon, starting with these majestic words. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. These are some of the grandest ascensions known in biblical literature about the person and nature of Jesus Christ. At the risk of mixing metaphors, they rise like Colorado 14ers along John 1 and Colossians 1. The writer of Hebrews argues that Jesus is superior to the prophets, angels, Moses, and Joshua. He is also the superior high priest who calls us to a superior walk of faith. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. Is it possible to believe in the facts of Christianity without believing in the person behind them? Find out next on this Friday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. My name is Brian. Thanks for tuning in. Today, Ron launches road trip number eight in his teaching series, Route 66, the ultimate road trip through the Bible. He kicks things off with the book of Hebrews, an epistle filled with hard sayings and warnings that many find difficult to understand. It also places great emphasis on the superiority of Jesus Christ. Today's message is straight ahead. Stay here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now with today's Something Good Radio message, Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Psychologist Alfred Adler coined the term superiority complex back in the early 1900s. Anybody here have a superiority complex and you're maybe willing to admit it or sit down with somebody like Alfred Adler? Ironically, he believed the pathological behavior that made some people think too highly of themselves actually came from uh, deep inside that person and the, the inferiority that they felt. Uh, his research showed that some people treat others with contempt. Uh, they, they domineer them in a prideful kind of way just to feel good about themselves. He called that a superiority complex. You know, guys like uh, Adler, psychoanalysts like him, can make all of us look in the mirror and just feel a little bit disturbed about ourselves. And maybe 2,000 years ago, some people in the first century might have thought that Jesus of Nazareth needed uh, some psychological help because he claimed to be the Jewish Messiah of all things. Who is this uh, rabbi from Nazareth? Is he a little off his rocker claiming to be the Messiah, let alone God? But nobody who has seriously, and by seriously I mean without bias, nobody has seriously ever attempted to psychoanalyze Jesus Christ and come away saying, oh, he had a superiority complex. No, on the contrary. Most people agree that the humble God-man came to serve and not to be served. In fact, those were his words. Emotionally healthy people will tell you that life is more about uh, giving than taking. It's more about serving than being served. 
And the truly superior person, let's just think about that for a moment. The, the truly superior person is the least likely person psychologically to have a superiority complex and the most likely person to genuinely and humbly serve others. And maybe that's what the writer of Hebrews had in mind when he wrote this New Testament letter that we have in our, our Bibles called the letter to the Hebrews. Maybe he had this in mind when he argued for the superiority of Jesus Christ. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus Christ. Uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews begins the final road trip on the ultimate road trip through the Bible. Boy, it seems like just yesterday we started in Genesis, right? And we've worked our way through every book of the Bible, one book at a time, one week at a time. Road trip eight travels through the general epistles and Revelation. That's Hebrews all the way through the book of Revelation. When we were uh, raising our kids, my wife used to teach our kids how to know their Bible books by saying, okay, Hebrews, James, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation. Can you yeah, say that with me? Hebrews, James, Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation. There you have the general epistles in Revelation. You'll never forget it now, right? John, John, Jude, Revelation. Okay. It didn't work at the 8 o'clock service either or, or the 9.15, but that's all right. We're going to be asking and answering the question, what contribution does Hebrews make to the New Testament canon? What is the Jesus juncture? We looked at the Christ connection in the Old Testament, but here on the ultimate road trip through the Bible, the Jesus juncture, that's, that's more obvious in the New Testament. And how does Hebrews point us to the supremacy, the sufficiency, and even the superiority of Jesus Christ? I want to begin with an observation from Walter Martin, who read the book of Hebrews and summarized it this way. The book of Hebrews, he says, was written by a Hebrew to other Hebrews, telling the Hebrews to stop acting like Hebrews. <laughs> Not a bad summation, if you know anything about the book of Hebrews, and although theologians are not typically comedians, uh, not, not bad from Walter Martin there, right? There's much more to Hebrews than uh, what Martin says of it, and uh, we're going to get into that even now. The primary audience the writer of Hebrews had in mind was Jewish followers of Jesus, Jewish believers in the first century who were afraid to fully embrace Christianity by departing from Judaism. And part of their fear came because of the intense persecution that came to early followers of Jesus, especially the Jews who said, you know, no, we're leaving Judaism and following this man named Jesus. They had a tendency to slip back into the comfortable rituals that they knew best in Judaism. But the writer of Hebrews writes to them and strongly encourages them to continue in the grace of Jesus Christ. That's his primary audience. Now there's a secondary audience that we need to keep in mind as well. The same writer also warned another group about falling away from that which they never fully embraced. Uh, this audience had accepted the facts of Christianity intellectually, but they never experienced saving faith. And it's important as you read the book of Hebrews to keep these two audiences in mind. They keep us from uh, perhaps making wrong theological assumptions about, for example, eternal security 
and the assurance of one's salvation. Oftentimes people read the book of Hebrews and they come across what we call the problem passages, the difficult passages. They're also known as the warning passages and they don't know what to do with them. It sounds like a believer in Jesus can lose their salvation, fall away from the truth. Uh, you, gotta, you gotta keep in mind the two audiences. One audience were Jewish believers who had genuinely received Christ and experienced saving faith. The others looked like it. Religious people, members of churches and synagogues, um, faithful, maybe, maybe they sat on a board or served here or served there. And they had accepted the facts of Christianity intellectually, but it did not produce saving faith in them. And to that audience, the warning passages come. And you just have to keep that in mind. These warning passages remind us of what James is going to tell us next week, that even the devils believe in God and shudder. It's possible to be as religious as religious can be and be as lost and headed to hell at the same time. And the warning passages found in the book of Hebrews, well, um, they're fair warnings. Let me just give you a highlight of them. There are five of them. Hebrews 2 verses 1 to 4 warns about drifting from the gospel message we heard and neglecting such a great salvation. Hebrews 3, 7 verses, uh, and through 4, uh, 13 warns about hardened hearts and the danger of unbelief. Chapter 5 and verse 11 all the way through chapter 6 and verse 20 warns about apostasy, a falling away from the truth. Uh, chapter 10 verses 26 to 39 warns about trampling underfoot the Son of God, profaning His blood, and outraging the Spirit of grace. And then Hebrews 12, 25 to 29 warns about refusing to hear God who is speaking to us. Again, all of these powerful, powerful warnings understand the audience to whom he is writing. Um, but any one of these passages are, are a worthy study and could take us uh, time to get through. But we're, we're up at the 30,000 foot level in uh, the book of Hebrews, and we got to move on. Uh, these warning passages, just keep in mind, are interspersed throughout the book, and around that, around these passages, the writer of Hebrews argues for the superiority of Jesus Christ. Starting in chapter one and going through about the middle of chapter four, he just argues for uh, Jesus the superior person. And he begins in chapter one and verse one where he says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He goes on to say that he, this is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that. Go all the way back to Genesis. God spoke the worlds into existence. What a powerful word he gave. And, and, and we, could, we could bring Christ into that creation moment. He, it was through Christ he created the world, but he also sustains the world by the word of his power. Hey, Pluto, stay in your orbit. You know, hey, Earth, keep, keep rotating so the seasons come and the seasons go. He keeps it all in check by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, 
The writer goes on, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus. If you're new to the program, we want you to know that all of Ron's messages are archived at our website, somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, use the Partner tab at the top of the homepage and check out the 828 Club, a special group of people who partner with Ron so that he can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a growing audience. Join the 828 Club from our website or give us a call at 757-276-1099. That's 757-276-1099. What makes Christianity different from every other belief system on earth is not an idea. It's a person, Jesus Christ, who is the only name by which anyone can be saved. Here's Ron with the second half of today's Something Good radio message, Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus. Here's where the writer of Hebrews begins to make his case for the superiority of Jesus Christ. And these opening verses are some of the grandest ascensions we will find in the New Testament that help form what we call our Christology, our theology of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? Not who is he to me. No, who is he as revealed in the pages of Scripture? And Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 stands right alongside John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. Uh, They're like 14ers standing alongside each other in Colorado. Uh, Scale the ascensions of of, uh, the New Testament's Christology and understanding of who Jesus is. Now, after stating that Jesus is superior to the Old Testament prophets, the writer quickly states that he is equally superior to the angels of heaven. Hey, don't don't ever worship an angel. Where did we ever get the idea that we worship angels? And where did we ever get the idea that when we die and go to heaven, we become angels? I hear that from time to time. No, no, we don't. Angels are angels. But we we are the special creation of God, created in His image. We don't become angels. And we're not to worship angels. We're to worship Jesus, who is superior um, to the angels. Neither prophets nor angels are in the same category as Jesus, who creates and sustains the entire universe by the word of his power. He even sits at the right hand of the majesty on high, which is something prophets and angels never get to do. That seat is reserved for one and only one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for what it's worth, this is where Christianity departs from Islam, who has uh, respect for Jesus and calls him a prophet. Oh, a little lower than Muhammad. (laughs) All right, that's that's where we depart. Even Mormonism wrongly identifies Jesus, are you ready for this, as the spirit brother of Lucifer. Where do they get that idea? I don't know. Not from the writer of Hebrews or any other place in the New Testament. Now in chapter three, verses one to six, the writer of Hebrews makes another case for the superiority of Jesus, this time, Jesus is greater than Moses. Now keep in mind, he's writing to a Jewish audience, Jewish believers who came to faith in Jesus Christ. And and they they are, are fully steeped in the Old Testament. And Moses, oh, Moses, nobody was more respected 
than Moses. But in chapter 3 and verse 3, the writer says, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. And then um, he turns his attention to the spiritual rest that God intended for his chosen people as they entered the promised land. Remember when we uh, stopped off at the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And um, as he goes into this discussion, the writer of Hebrews is suggesting that Jesus is not only superior to and greater than the prophets and the angels and Moses, but even Moses' successor, Joshua. He's greater than Joshua. From Joshua, we learn that the promised land was not heaven, but the promised land was a picture of abundance and victory and spiritual rest that we were uh, meant to experience in the Christian life. Not all who came out of Egypt entered into the promised land, let alone took full possession of the promised land. And uh, from this Old Testament story, the writer of Hebrews then speaks of a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And he encourages believers to enter that superior experience through Jesus Christ. Jesus who said, come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest, first of all, from your works to earn your salvation from God. No, that's not the way we enter into a relationship with him, by doing better and trying harder. And uh, a spiritual rest, uh, an ease by which we just settle into um, this experience and this relationship in, in the Christian life. And that uh, brings us to the end of chapter 4 where after dipping into these Old Testament stories, which his Jewish audience were very familiar with, uh, the writer drops in some uh, words about the Word of God, about the Bible, that remind us that the Bible is more than just a dry and dusty history textbook. He says in chapter 4 and verse 12, listen to this, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give an account. There is no other book that you will ever read anywhere in any library that will psychoanalyze you like the Bible does. I mean, it is living, it is active. I, I've always taken that to mean that I, I, can, I can read this book over and over and over and over again, and each time it intersects my life at a different point and exposes the thoughts and the intentions of my heart. And the combination of the written Word of God, this book we call the Bible, and the living Word, the living Logos, who is Jesus Christ, well, they are never in contradiction with each other. And together they powerfully give life and deliver warnings and expose the inner motives of the human heart and hold us accountable, it says. This is better than any psychoanalyst who might uh, tell us to look in the mirror and see how, how off we are. No, the Bible is a mirror. And the Bible, you know, will analyze us. I'm, I'm not saying there's not room for counselors and all of that, but... But he, he takes our understanding of Holy Scripture to a whole new level in uh, Hebrews 4 and verses 12 
and 13. And that brings us to the next section, the middle of chapter four, four through uh, the end of chapter 13, where the author now argues for Jesus, the superior high priest. And again, keep in mind his Jewish audience that were very well entrenched in the Old Testament and in the office of the priesthood uh, through the, Levi the Levitical order and the uh, tribe of the Levites and Aaron and all of that. But he uh, presents Jesus as the superior high priest who is greater now than Aaron. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. Now, I mean, there's only one, one or two that are left now Aaron, the high priest, Jesus is superior to him. And here's where it gets a little bit thick in the pages of, uh, of the writer of Hebrews, and, and we're just going to have to skim a few things. But he, he begins uh, by summarizing the priesthood of Jesus Christ in chapter 4 and verse 14. And he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You're listening to Something Good Radio with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus, along with all of Ron's messages, can be heard on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Use the radio tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And while you're there, take a look at a discipleship coaching experience developed by Dr. Ron Jones called Starting Point, A Disciple's First Steps. Look for Something Good courses at the top of the homepage. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed Something Good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to Something Good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 8.28, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. None of us can accomplish God's will without a little help. Today, with your help, Something Good Radio will keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us here at Something Good, we'll send you a free copy of Ron's full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. To join the 828 Club today, please visit our new and expanded website, somethinggoodradio.org, and look for the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org, or call 757-276-1099. 
If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation of $50 or more, we have a very special thank you gift to share with you. It's Ron's book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Volumes 1 and 2 can be yours. By request, when you invest $50 or more into the media ministry of Something Good, when you order the print versions, you'll also get unlimited access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. For more information, visit somethinggoodradio.org. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I always love to start a conversation sometimes with people and say, well, how do you define faith? And usually it sounds something like this. Well, faith is a you know, blind leap into the dark unknown. Really? That doesn't sound like faith. It's not biblical faith. It's not a blind leap into the dark unknown. It's a, it's a, it's a leap into the light of truth. That's next time when Ron shares part two of his message, Hebrews, the superiority of Jesus. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.